You're listening to MuniCast, the podcast that discusses municipal leadership. Season 5 of MuniCast is brought to you by SASTEL's innovation and collaboration team. SASTEL can help you sort through the noise to create solutions that add value quickly, whether it's reducing your environmental footprint, driving investment, community development, or just saving money. Contact your SASTEL account manager to find out more. MuniCast is hosted by SUMA, the voice of Saskatchewan's hometowns. I'm Stephanie, SUMA's Education and Events Advisor, and in Season 5 of MuniCast, we are discussing how truth and reconciliation relates to municipalities. On this episode, I'm joined by Gerald Roy, Councillor for the Northern Village of Ila La Crosse, who sits on SUMA's Board of Directors as the Director for the Northern Region. Gerald was born and raised in the historic Métis community of Ila La Crosse and is a lifelong resident of Saskatchewan's North. He graduated from Rosignol High School and convocated from the School of Human Justice at the University of Regina. Gerald is an Indigenous Business Development Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Trade and Export Development. He is an outdoor enthusiast and enjoys boating, angling, ice fishing, snowmobiling, and hunting. He is serving his fifth term as Councillor with the Northern Village of Ila La Crosse. Welcome, Gerald. Thank you very much for joining me today for this conversation. Uh, Very nice to be here, and thank you very much for inviting me. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada has outlined 94 calls to action, with a portion of those calls being directed towards government, some to all levels of government, including municipalities. In earlier episodes of this podcast, we've discussed the legal requirements for municipalities, why education is a crucial component of reconciliation that municipalities can be partaking in, and how we can follow the examples of organizations like SASTEL to develop relationships with Indigenous communities. In 2022, a resolution was put forward by the Village of Isla La Crosse to advocate for the legislated ability for municipal councils to appoint non-voting elder advisors to their councils. This resolution was passed, and why was it important to put this resolution forward? Well, the Northern Village of Isla La Crosse uh, at the time thought, um, uh, in reviewing and discussing uh, the 94 calls for action, we thought it was important to have uh, a bit of guidance and direction from an elder. Uh, to date, uh, we've had some discussions about it, but haven't instituted uh, an actual elder to be on a council as a non-voting member at this point in time. However, uh, we've been uh, working closely with our local elders uh, lodge and elders group in the municipality of Isle Cross, and we've partnered with them on a number of initiatives, actually. And they bring uh, some great uh, discussion and uh, uh, direction and, of course, their wisdom always guides us in uh, some of the decisions we want to make when we do partner and if it's uh, for uh, the betterment and well-being of our community. So they are involved to a certain extent at this point in time, but to make it more formal, I think we're going to take that next step and ensure that uh, an elder is uh, involved on our day-to-day discussions and within our council chambers during our council meetings. And you touched on this a little bit in your last response, but can you tell me what some of the specific roles of the elder would be if they were to be on council? Well, as uh, you're aware, Stephanie, um, elders bring uh, a lot of experience. Uh, they have uh, uh, their wisdom and uh, their knowledge. And I think it's important that we try to incorporate some of uh, their experiences, uh, be it from the residential schools or boarding schools or just their upbringing uh, within an Indigenous community uh, in their young, younger years and whatnot. I think it's important to, to have 
some discussions with our elders to ensure that uh, they're providing some insight and uh, uh, educating uh, not just the mayor and council, but the community on some of their experiences and, and some of the hardships and challenges they've gone through. And how can we uh, ensure that uh, we're moving forward uh, with some of our decisions that are going to impact the community as a whole uh, and having that voice of an elder at the table? I would agree. It sounds like it, it's very important and a big part of relationship building with some of the communities around you. As you mentioned, Isle of the Cross does not currently have an elder appointed to council, but are you aware of any other municipalities who have appointed to elders to council or are considering that? Well, uh, there are some municipalities that are working closely, as I stated, with their elders groups in their communities. And uh, of course, uh, the First Nations who, uh, you know, are neighbors of our municipalities are actually bordered with some of the northern municipalities and that who have uh, actual elders as part of their customary uh, election processes on First Nations involved in their day-to-day -day operations and uh, providing them with guidance and direction. Um, I, I, I feel personally that uh, we can build on that and um, the elders are an important component of our community. Uh, they're knowledge keepers. Uh, they provide us with some guidance and direction. And uh, to a certain extent, some of the municipalities are utilizing elders on their day-to-day uh, -day, uh, learning experiences as, uh, in our schools, for instance. The Isle of Cross School Division utilizes elders uh, on their day, in their day-to-day -day education of their, their, their students. So I think it's important that uh, we continue to utilize uh, our elders where we can, when we can. Oh, I think that's a really important point that you made about how um, a lot of these are informal ways. So it might not be in a in a formal position, but like you mentioned with the school there, they are using elders in their um, in their studies. And we may just mm -hmm. not be hearing about some of these. Yes. As you're talking about this and the relationships that um, communities are building and that you've seen, what are some of the challenges that um, you've seen to incorporating elders into spaces like schools or municipal council? I think some of the challenges are uh, when we utilize um, our elders, uh, as I stated earlier, uh, they bring their experiences with them. And if uh, individuals have been in the residential school uh, system or in the boarding school system, such as we had now across, um, those experiences can tend to, if there was some trauma involved, may trigger. So there might be a challenge around that. But I see also as an opportunity for our young people to have a better understanding or, or um, uh, you know, to learn from our, our elders and what they've gone through. Uh, so they'd be in a better position to be able to deal with some of the trauma that's been handed down uh, from generation to generation. I think that's one challenge. I think another is, is um, municipalities or community agencies or groups or organizations over-utilizing uh, elders and uh, tend to uh, burn out. So we got to make sure that the, what we're doing it in a manner that's not so demanding and the elders are uh, appreciated for their efforts and whatnot. And it, it, to a certain extent, also compensated for their time. I mean, our elders, uh, some of them are pensioners and some of them have a fixed income. And I think we got to make sure that uh, we're compensating them in whichever uh, way they they think or they deem is uh, appropriate. So, yeah, it's um, it's always a good thing to have an elder uh, close by and providing us with some uh, guidance and direction. 
I really like what you pointed out there about how um, people need to be fairly compensated for doing this extra work. We push so far into um, trying to make efforts towards reconciliation that sometimes when we're looking just to make sure there is an elder at an event that we're not necessarily considering uh, what's their place there. Have they been fairly compensated? How much pressure are we putting on people to be in these in these roles when they have experienced things like trauma? Northern municipalities and First Nations, as you mentioned before, are often a lot closer in proximity than they are in some other areas of the province. Does this end up leading to more collaboration with First Nations communities and municipalities? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, the rise in cost of living and um, everything has to do. (laughs) Historically, the North has always been an expensive place to live. And I think communities uh, have to take the opportunity to actually work together and partner. Um, there's some wonderful examples. You look at the tri-community of the La Lorange area and uh, Air Ranch and the Lac Lorange Indian Band, for instance, and uh, um, utilizing uh, the infrastructure for water and sewer, for instance. Um, some of northern municipalities and First Nations have been sharing recreation, uh, school, even housing. A lot of our municipalities actually house First Nations uh, um, members in their local housing authorities. Um, education and uh, I think support is a very important one also. I know that uh, some of the First Nations have actually taken over uh, municipal uh, hockey arenas or or rinks and actually dismantled them on the municipal side and, and moved them on to the, uh, the reservation side or the First Nation property and uh, they built that um, uh, rebuilt the, uh, the arena for everyone to use. So I, I think it's fairly natural in the north for a municipality and a First Nation to work closely together, and um, including, uh, like I said, uh, water and sewer infrastructure that's uh, definitely needed. And I think government needs to recognize that and probably work closer with both First Nations and municipalities to ensure that they're stretching their bucket, ensuring that everybody's getting safe drinking water. Uh, everybody has access to proper infrastructure and uh, uh, services for uh, both communities. Because at the end of the day, I can use English River and uh, the Hamlet of Patronac as an example. At one time, if I remember correctly, the community was Patronac and Patronac alone. So everybody's connected either on the First Nation side or the municipality side. You're still family, you're still from the same community. Across the province, SASTEL is engaged with many different municipal organizations who seek to innovate. Contact your SASTEL account manager to learn more about some of these initiatives and how they can help your municipality today. That's something that the North does really well is collaborate and connect with uh, each other really beneficial. And I think that is something that municipal governments throughout the province could uh, take some lessons from. Are there any tools or practices that you've seen used in the North that you think would be helpful for municipalities in other areas of the province to be using as well? Well, when it comes to uh, reconciliation, uh, I think some municipalities are coming up with some ingenious ideas as to how to to recognize and just for your information, uh, Treaty 10 was signed in Isle of Cross, for instance, in 1906. Uh, MLTC has all their member communities in the northwest part of the region and they're adjacent to Isle of Cross or harbor um, uh, or border uh, uh, one of the northern municipalities. What MLTC did was um, the original signing and the celebrations, I think it was 225 years 
uh, actually put a monument in our community where the original signing took place. So we still have that monument, which is now in front of our, our municipal office. Uh, we fly municipal flags. Uh, there's also land acknowledgements uh, that take place within the municipalities. Um, schools, and uh, be it uh, First Nations or municipalities, are actually uh, doing a lot of land-based uh, education and awareness and training based on culture and traditions in their schools, uh, utilizing elders in their schools, and reconnecting to uh, the past, having cultural lease. A lot of uh, our communities in the north, our municipalities, actually have cultural camps where students can go. Again, the Isle Cross School Division, you cannot attain your grade 12 without a language uh, credit. Isle Cross is a standalone independent school division celebrating 50 years this year. And if you're in grade 12, you need to take the Mitchell language in order to graduate to get your grade 12 certificate or diploma. So I think that's an important component. And um, other communities, I think, could learn from that. Um, I know there's more and more uh, uh, communities, municipalities, or First Nations, and including uh, some of the city schools, uh, are, are taking on land-based uh, education, training, and awareness. So I think that's important, uh, reconnecting to our roots, uh, bringing in our elders, and learning as much as we possibly can from our elders and uh, the people who are traditional resource users who are out there on the land, still harvesting and gathering and uh, uh, providing for their families. So again, that all falls into this area of food sustainability and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's such a, a broad range of different ways that people can engage with reconciliation. So I think no matter yeah. where you or your municipality is at, there's some way for people to yeah. get on board. Yes. And I mentioned uh, IL Cross having a boarding school that hasn't been settled yet, including Timber Bay and the Range. Um, what I can say is the Northern Village of Isle of Cross has actually recognized the original site. The building has now have been uh, torn down, but we've renamed uh, that area uh, the, or the, the street that goes through there is Re Reconciliation Road. And it's an orange sign. It's the only sign that's orange in our community. And we moved and made a motion to rename that street from a hospital place, which our health center was originally there, and is now, um, of course, the boarding school and that health center is now moved on, and I'm actually sitting uh, next to the health center here, and the high school being to the right, and the health center being to the left, and the uh, integrated service facility. That road is now, and the municipal road is now called Reconciliation Road. So that's one of the steps we've taken to, uh, to uh, work towards reconciliation and some of the uh, calls to action. And I think that something like that in particular is one that a lot of municipalities can take on. There were several who had um, schools or facilities that we we could be looking at different ways that we can honor that history. A lot of schools have been changing their names, including uh, uh, some cities changing their street names. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit over to um, a research project that was done by the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy, which was funded by the Saskatchewan Ministry of Trade and Export Development um, on Indigenous leadership, governance and development. 
Um, they the aim was to provide in made in Saskatchewan tools for Indigenous communities to undertake long term economic development. And in December of 2022, a case study was published that profiles the development of Isle of La Crosse Cooperative Association. Um, and it kind of outlines how the village used the cooperative model to address food security and community development. So I know in a bit of our previous conversation, you've definitely touched on this, but would you be able to kind of tell us directly what impact this yeah, you've been seeing this project have on the community? Uh, the the, uh, the co-op in Isle Cross has been uh, a godsend. It, it's just been a, a tremendous project and it's, it's really changing the face of, of uh, how uh, people um, shop and uh, get some of their day-to-day -day, uh, food from the co-op. And uh, it, it's actually given the, the community and its members uh, a choice as to where where they can shop, what they can shop for, and what uh, is there for their day-to-day -day needs. Uh, previously, we had the Northern Store, which was the Hudson's Bay Company at one time, and it's been around as far as I can remember. And the prices with the Hudson Bay Company are the Northern Store now, which also owns Giant Tiger and a number of others, uh, Northern Mart, North Mart, and so on and so forth. And they're primarily in Northern Saskatchewan, Northern Canada. Um, they um, Their prices are outrageous. Uh, we have a local uh, business person, who, uh, also a confectionery, and those are the only two we've had ever since I can remember. So when a group of uh, young community-minded individuals said, well, let's see if we can get a co-op started in Isle Cross. So Arctic Co-ops came along and um, we supply uh, uh, federated cooperatives, uh, supplies all um, the groceries and uh, whatever else is in the store. And it's uh, significantly changed how uh, people uh, shop and there's more of a choice now. So rather than just going to a confectionery or northern store, you also have the co-op. So something's out in one store, you may find it in the other. But it's also giving single parent families, uh, pensioners and uh, or elders and senior citizens of fixed incomes, a choice as to where they can shop. And if uh, they can save money, everything's going up, the cost of living's going up. So if we can find and provide um, uh, a better um, source of um, whatever daily need that our, our community members uh, need, uh, I think it's important for them to to make sure or have good understanding of where they can find it. And if it's local, that's even better. And the co-op now has also instituted a federal credit union, which just opened about two or three weeks ago in Iowa Cross. So now we now have banking services here. And the co-op is owned locally. So it's shop local, it uh, employs people locally. So it's all about this um, food sovereignty, food security, and of course, uh, it's creating a, a jobs in the community and uh, a sense of pride because it's local ownership. And I think that's very, very important. Yeah, well, and a co-op is something that we see uh, all across the province. They're almost everywhere. So I think for anyone who hasn't traveled to the north, they may not even realize mm -hmm. that some of those services that we take for granted throughout the southern and central part of the province uh, aren't necessarily there. And how big of an impact that that can have and simply just having a choice in where you get your groceries and having more of those job opportunities created. Exactly. So 
There was also another case study done on the economic development in the northern village of Pine House, um, and the approach to the development was based on self-determination, um, investment in the local community, partnerships, active governance, and continued traditional land use and stewardship. Uh, the community owns and manages several for-profit and non-profit entities, um, and the program provides services to community members. Do you think that these are helpful approaches to municipalities in the north? Absolutely. Um, Northern municipalities are governed by the Northern Municipalities Act. And within the Northern Municipalities Act, Northern municipalities can establish what's called a municipal development corporation. In this case, Pine House has done that through Pine House Business North, but also working collaboratively with its Métis local, Kinepec Métis local. Um, they've been inclusive uh, with their planning, and this planning that they've conducted ensures is that um, they're diversifying their eco economy. Um, they're uh, instilling and, and um, uh, providing jobs, uh, signing uh, uh, collaboration agreements with the industry, in this case, uh, Cameco and Orano uh, Mining. And uh, there's jobs and training and uh, education's component to that. And um, from that also, there's a healing component. So Pine House has been very proactive and uh, moving forward with some of its healing component as part of a reconciliation and, and identifying what their needs are. So they have a, a healing center just on the outskirts of the community. Again, I, I spoke to it. Uh, it's uh, land-based and it's called Recovery Lake. So uh, they also have a co-op, uh, such as I mentioned before I uh, lacrosse. So, Pine House Business North, very proactive, uh, been working closely like, with mining industries and the, the mining companies and whatnot. And of course, they're also uh, dealing with some other capacity issues, which is important. And you know, when the, the older folks who are involved in economic development or mayor and council or other businesses, the co-op and PBN or Kinepec Métis local, that capacity needs to be there for those young people to come up and take over. So planning for municipalities is important, be it officially, uh, official community plans, uh, economic development strategies, and so on and so forth. But at the same time, ensuring that uh, young people have a good understanding of how to continue to carry that on when uh, that the leadership uh, moves on to something else or retires. So good governance, good organization, strategic planning is very, very important to ensure that our communities continue to move forward. And, um, continue to incorporate the reconciliation in their day-to-day -day operations. Well, and I know you kind of mentioned it just briefly here, but the Northern municipalities actually do have a different act than the other municipalities in Saskatchewan. A lot of it is very similar, but there are some key differences. Do you see any particular challenges that that creates for governance with Northern communities, or is that more of a benefit? I, I, I would see it as both. Uh, there might be some areas that are, are, are a bit more challenging. Uh, of course, the Northern Municipalities Act is governed through government relations, and uh, the Office for Government Relations actually within the North are the Lorange, so Northern Municipal Services. And uh, I think it works well. Um, there tends to be more uh, of a closer relationship with staff and government relations based out of Lorange, and they also have Northern Municipal Advisors. Uh, when they do have a full complement of staff, it's easier to have that communication and they're more than willing to, to help us, such as the uh, official community planning I mentioned earlier. So I think that's important uh, that relationship be there. Um, 
uh, Northern Revenue Sharing Trust Account, uh, Capital Works Programs. And um, so these people have a really good understanding in government relations when it comes to Northern Municipalities, the Northern Municipalities Act. So and that, that working relationship. But so that's, that's, a, um, that's a good thing. And, um, and some of the challenges, of course, you're in the North, a lot of governments will say, well, you're north of the 54th, so you're northern Saskatchewan. Does that impact uh, how we get the federal and provincial transfer funds? Um, so it might be a give and take. And uh, sometimes it's, it's better to be in the north because uh, funding arrangements might be a little different from the federal government as opposed to how it would be for the southern part of the province. So there's give and take. And then again, challenges being around cost of living and whatnot and then uh, geographic challenges and so on and so forth so yeah it's uh it's a good thing and it could be a bad thing and it could be a challenging thing or you know it could be to our advantage also a little bit of everything right yes exactly yes yeah well and i think sometimes too uh we forget how broad the north well us in the south anyways forget how broad the north is because as you mentioned it is a massive ge geographical region <laughs> Yep, it covers one third of the province, Stephanie, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that. And yeah. I think a lot of people forget and think we're all First Nations uh, communities up here. We have 35 municipalities, and I think there's 54 communities in total that includes uh, First Nations and municipalities altogether. So for my last question for today, I'm going to ask if there's any ways that you see that all levels of government could be working together to alleviate some of the challenges that you've seen in the North. Absolutely. Um, people need to put their thinking caps on and uh, governments need to take a really, really good look at exactly what we can be doing to improve the quality of life for any uh, individual who lives or resides in northern Saskatchewan. That includes economic development, social development, housing needs, everything, the whole spectrum. And uh, when it comes to reconciliation, what I would ask other municipalities uh, to consider is um, there's, a, um, there's a course that's offered online by First Nations University of Canada called Four Seasons of Reconciliation. It has 10 modules, and I think they're considering actually adding one additional one that'll actually focus on the Métis and uh, some of the struggles they've had with uh, boarding schools and, and uh, some of their challenges around some of the, the, uh, the community uh, challenges they've had uh, over the past. So I would definitely encourage uh, people to uh, to take a look at the Four Seasons of Reconciliation. You can find that uh, online. It's part of um, uh, Education Reconciliation. I think it speaks to um, uh, Call to Action 6-2 and number 92. So um, just take a look at that. And uh, it's offered for municipalities. You can do it online on your own time. And at the end of the course, you get a certificate. Um, it, it sure changed my perspective on reconciliation and uh, boarding schools and residential schools and some of the challenges that are generational trauma and whatnot. That's, um, it's such a wonderful learning tool. And I would encourage anybody, anybody to take uh, Four Seasons of Reconciliation. 
I would second that. It was something that us as SUMA staff did uh, last year, and I found it to be a really insightful course. And I was actually looking into some of their resources more recently, and they do have a program specific for municipalities within that Four Seasons of Reconciliation if you contact them. So mm-hmm. as Gerald said, that is a great resource for anybody who's looking to, to deepen their understanding and uh, get a bit more education on the topic. So thank you very much, Gerald, for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been a really engaging conversation, and I appreciate you taking time out of what I'm sure is your very busy schedule to to sit down and chat with me. Do you have any final comments that you'd like to leave with our listeners before we end here? I would just say uh, thank you very much, uh, Stephanie, and uh, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, uh, requesting that I, I take part in the Unicast. And I, I always think it's important to try to educate my uh, colleagues from the north or from the south on uh, what Northern Saskatchewan is all about. So uh, I am humbled and uh, I am honored to, to be part of this today. So thank you. This brings us to the end of another episode of MuniCast. We look forward to bringing you the final episodes of Season 5 in early 2024. 